Well, good morning, church. We are in a sermon series entitled Equipped, and it's from the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have your Bible with you, there are some in the pews if you didn't bring one this morning, we can turn to Matthew chapter 4. And that's where we're going to be this morning. I'm going to for us as you're turning, and we'll begin our time of worship. Father God, I thank you so much that somewhere in eternity past, however that works, that you had ordained to volunteer your son to be sacrificed for the rebellion of humanity that had not yet even happened. That you knew, God, in your perfect will and your perfect mind that we would rebel against you in Adam in the Garden of Eden that we would reject you as our God, as our creator. But still you decided to make us and Lord Jesus, you still decided to step down from heaven, to step down from your throne as the eternal Son, to glorify the Father, that you would come here, that you would be the Lamb, the perfect sacrifice, making a way for us to come home. With that in mind this morning, God, we pray that your spirit would be present, not just in our hearts, but in this place, that those who don't know you, those who are still lost and stuck in the prison of sin, our prayer this morning for them is, God, that the word would be preached, and the gates of hell would be shaken, that by the grace of, by your grace, by the grace of God, that we would be able to reach in and rescue someone, that we would encourage folks, that we would fill them with the power, the same power, the Holy Spirit, to be ambassadors of the gospel to the ends of the earth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the title of this morning's sermon is Equipped for Allegiance. And as I was sharing with those kids, I think oftentimes the idea of allegiance escapes us. As I opened up my Bible and began studying this week and preparing, in my Bible it has a little title over Jesus or uh, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus' being led by the Spirit into the wilderness, devil. And the little title above it says, The Temptation of Jesus. The temptation of Jesus. And I think it's tragic that oftentimes the folks who decide that they want to interject these kinds of titles and things, that they really do us a disservice. They take one of the, if not the most epic battle in all of history, and it's relegated to the simple title, The Temptation of Jesus. I don't know how many of y'all are fans of sports. But so oftentimes there are these conflicts, these, these meetings between personalities and people and teams and sports, these epic 
confrontations, these epic meetings, and far and away superior to any and all of those is this meeting between Jesus and the diabolos, the devil, the slanderer. Diabolu literally means dia, through. Balo means to throw. The devil is the one, the diabolu is the one that throws accusations through us. He's the accuser, the one that would seek to seduce us and to tempt us into rebellion against our Creator. And in doing so, the moment that we succumb, stands there and points his finger and says, See God? Do you see? Kevin, he's unfit. And in Matthew chapter the new Jesus, Jesus Christ came, the one that the Magi worshipped, the one who identified perfectly with humanity. He didn't need to be baptized for repentance of sin. One that the Holy Spirit descended as a dove and rested upon him, inaugurating his ministry. And then, in chapter 4, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The concept of allegiance, I think we kind of get it a little bit. As I said a moment ago, we have allegiance to things, right? See, people have their Green Bay Packers or Pittsburgh Steelers or Dallas Cowboys stuff. That's my team. Those are my boys. My allegiance is to them. So we kind of know we pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We pledge allegiance. We also pledge allegiance to things like bands. Ah, I can't believe you think that's the best band ever. I can't believe that you listen to that kind of music. My allegiance is, and we may not use that word, but that's what it is. That's our allegiance. And see, the problem is that it comes in the, into our theology is that our personal preference thus begins to reflect our allegiance. And we, we make those things synonymous. Is that it's like, well, when I go into Scripture, I always loved it when I would sit down in a Sunday school class and, and the Sunday school teacher would say, well, what does that mean to you? As if it matters. There is absolutely no subjectivity to Scripture. None. It doesn't matter what it means to you. It matters what the author, God, meant by it. It's objective truth. But yet we pledge allegiance to things. See, that's the concept of allegiance to schools, to brands. I'm a Ford man. Well, I'm a Chevy man. I remember growing up, my dad was a Chevy guy. And I literally remember growing up seeing somebody that drove a Ford and kind of being like, how could that person drive a Ford? How could you drive a Ford, you traitor? You commie? Because dad said, if you're not a Chevy man, you ain't nothing. And then when I grew up and I got a good deal on a Honda Accord, I bought it and I was excommunicated from the family. You're not driving a Chevy, son. Funny thing is, my dad doesn't drive a Chevy anymore either. 
See, our allegiance, it kind of waxes and wanes, but we get the concept, allegiance. But the fullness of the picture, I don't know that we ever really get. But we look at Jesus Christ, and Jesus understood it. Jesus understood what allegiance meant. You may be wondering, Pastor, how come you haven't read the scripture yet? Because I'm building up to it. Hang on. See, there's this great contrast in scripture. You kind of start at the end of the Old Testament and work your way backwards. And you look at all these different personalities. You look at the nation of Israel. You say, man, Israel, they just, they just really blew it, didn't they? Israel, they just really blew it. I mean, at the end of their, their kind of time in the Old Testament, it was like they end up going into exile because of their idolatry that was perpetual, nonstop. Time and time and time again, God said, come back to me, Israel. Come back because I love you. You're my chosen people. And time and time again, Israel said, yeah, nah, we're good. We want to adopt the practices of all the other nations around us. And that didn't really work out so well for them. Not just as a nation, but as individuals. I don't know if you know the story of Absalom one of David's sons, that he kind of set up a little recruiting tent out in front of the city. And when folks were coming into the city, Absalom would say, I'm here, I kind of set up my little tent here to hear your problems. Mike, I got, a, I got a sympathetic ear. Tell me what your problems are. And Mike would say, well, I just kind of feel like your dad, he's, he's taxing me a little too much. Well, if I were king, Mike, you know, I'd reduce taxes well, you got my vote, Mike would say to Absalom. And Robert comes along a little bit later and Robert says, you know, I just don't think that there's really any fairness in terms of wages. You know, the job that I'm doing over here, I don't really, you know what? You know what, Robert, if I were king, you know what I would do? I'd, I'd, I'd make all that stuff fair. And see, David, his father, sitting on the throne and Absalom is recruiting folks and then there's this coup. And the son ends up rejecting the father. Say, well, what does that have to do with the devil? What does it have to do with Jesus' temptation? It has everything to do with it. Because character after character after character, Solomon, 700 wives, 300 concubines, amassed an army in gold and silver, and God said that the king wouldn't do that. David, oh, he's the shepherd boy and he looks so good as the king. And the Bathsheba incident and the murder of her husband that followed. Saul, the one that the people got together and they said, you know what, let's be a democracy. Hey, bud, what do you think? Mike, Vincent, Jack, what do you guys think if instead of following God, if we voted on somebody that's our choice and then they can be our king and we can follow that person and look at that guy Saul over there. He's six foot four. He's handsome as all get out. We don't really want you, God. We want a king to rule over us just like all the other nations. Sounds like a great idea, except that it's sin. The time of Judges... 
Everyone did as they saw fit in their own eyes. The prophets, the priests, you want to do a study about the priests, you look at someone like Aaron, just look to the golden calf incident. Moses, Moses, maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the deliverer, right? Moses had some anger issues, didn't he? Egyptian, he's leading Israel. He comes down from the mountain. You people are doing what? Smash the tablets on the ground. We've been in the desert for a while and people are thirsty and hungry and those rebellious idiots, they just haven't got it yet. And God said, smack the rock once and he does it twice because he's angry. See, all of us have sinned and fall short. I kind of wonder if maybe when we get to heaven, if there's just going to be this long line of people who are just waiting to walk up to Adam and just kind of slap him in the face. Dude, really? You couldn't, you couldn't have gone for the other tree? And I think sometimes that's our attitude, right? Adam, if you'd have just gone for that one. And I think every time somebody slaps Adam, he's going to be sitting right back and go, you were there with me. You were there with me because you've done the exact same thing. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But he, that's Jesus, answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil, the diabolu, that's the slanderer, the accuser, the one that throws through, took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give His angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus told him, It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then, then, are you all ready for it? One of the most epic battles in the history of humanity Then Jesus told him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and immediately angels came and began to serve him. And in my Bible, that pathetic little title over it, which isn't inspired by God, it's written by man, the temptation of Jesus. 
I think if I were to ever do a Bible and I were to put little titles in there, mine would read something like, Jesus lays the ultimate smackdown on the devil. Because it's not just the temptation of Jesus, it's about what happened. I grew up watching wrestling with my dad, and my dad was convinced that it was real. You just can't fake that stuff. Look at Jimmy Fly Snooker off the third rope coming down on the guy with his elbow. And see, Jesus wasn't faking anything. He laid the smack down on the devil. Nobody else in all of Scripture has ever dealt with the full blunt force of Satan in their face ever. Nobody. And Satan comes with everything that he's got. All of his guns blazing, everything. And Jesus just stands there like a cool cucumber. Yeah, I could feel a little something, something going on in my tummy. I'm, I'm hungry. But you know what? That's not the most important thing. I would rather die of starvation than to not have allegiance to my father and the intimacy that connection, being wed with him for all eternity, never ever thinking of myself, never having a selfish thought. And as it turns out, my dad asked me if I would come and I'm right here doing my job. That's what I'm doing. And so if you want to come along and you want to tempt me with a little bit of bread, you really think that's going to work? Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I can just imagine that in that moment, I'm not really positive because it doesn't tell us here, but I'm thinking that maybe the devil, he just kind of shook a little bit for the first time. And then he starts kind of reeling a little bit. Well, what am I going to, well, here's, okay, plan B. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down because it's written. And Jesus responds, do not test the Lord. I'm not going to call my father's fidelity into question. I'm not going to call the Holy leading me here into this time and this place into question, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then the devil once again, probably at his wit's end, says, took him to the very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. You'll ever think about that? So I was reading that this week. You know how when you're kind of at a distance from something and you kind of look at it and go, cool. That's kind of cool. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. And then you kind of get down into the heart and the meat of it, and you realize that it's really just a cesspool. See, because that's what defines humanity in our fallenness. Is that Satan stood on the outside and he kind of showed Jesus things from afar, but Jesus being intimately identified with humanity, there's absolutely no appeal whatsoever. See, because if you're going to have all the kingdoms of the world, you know what comes along with that? Being the king and having to rule. 
Do you all remember Moses back in the Old Testament? And his uncle, father-in-law, I'm sorry, Jethro. Moses, this isn't good. You're spending all day, every day to the point that you've shipped off your wife and your kids. Trying to judge all of the problems of this entire nation. Jesus' response, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and immediately angels came to serve him. Conquest. Again, I don't know how many of you are sports fans. I grew up a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. You can give me grief about that later. But back in the day of Terry Bradshaw and Roger Staubach, when the Steelers never lost to the Cowboys in the Super Bowl, sorry, I just had to put that in there. Or maybe you're a boxing fan and you remember the days of Muhammad Ali and the likes of George Foreman or Joe Frazier the thrilla in Manila, the rumble in the jungle, the epic battle. George Foreman, there's no way anybody can beat this guy. There's a documentary on him and George Foreman would punch the heavy bag and literally the entire building that it was mounted to would shake. And Muhammad Ali would have to walk by on the way to his camp and watch the dust being shook off the building, knowing that he's going to go into the ring with this guy. Maybe you want a little bit more of a biblical example. There was this little boy named David. And he went up against a guy named Goliath. Sharon, a friend of mine, shared with me this week, he said, what really strikes me about that story of David and Goliath is the fact that all of those men, the Israelites, they all stood there and they knew what was on the line. See, there was this contract that said, whoever's champion wins, y'all remember this? Whoever's champion wins, the entire other army on the losing side, you're going to be our slaves. So if Goliath wins, everyone in Israel is going to be slaves to the Philistines. And if David wins, all of the Philistines are going to be slaves. Do y'all realize that Jesus did the exact same thing? His incarnation, his birth, he came down from heaven. At the inauguration of his ministry, he was baptized, identified 100% perfectly and completely and eternally with humanity. And he goes, allows himself to be led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And if Jesus loses this bout, we're done. We are going to be slaves of the slanderer, the accuser forever. No hope. This is it. Everything's on the line. And at the end of it, Jesus said, Go away, Satan. And the devil left him. I don't know what that does to you, but it gets me kind of excited. See, all throughout Jesus' life, through his incarnation, through his ministry, there's no independence. There's no autonomy. There's no thought of himself, ever. See, it was concrete for Jesus, the way that it was concrete for the Magi. A couple weeks back, we looked at Matthew chapter 2 and those men, those outsiders from somewhere far away in the east, 
And they came when they saw his star. And as we discussed, it likely took them up to about two years to get there. Do y'all realize that they had no New Testament? No New Testament. They hadn't witnessed Jesus' baptism. They didn't know anything about his crucifixion or his resurrection. And yet, the concrete allegiance that they had to Jesus to get up at his star and to travel for up to two years to come to his feet at his house and to bring him gold, frankincense, and myrrh and to lavish him in praise and worship only to get up and to turn around and go home. I truly believe that those magi were the original disciples and everything else that Matthew teaches and talks and preaches about in his gospel is encouraging us to be like those magi. Do you have allegiance to Jesus? Do you have allegiance to Jesus? Do you have allegiance to Jesus? And we say, yes, of course I do. I have allegiance to Jesus. Do you? Is your allegiance to Jesus kind of like our allegiance to our sports fan, our sports club, to the kind of music that we like, maybe to the church that we went to until we got our feelings hurt, and then we decided we're going to take our ball and we're going to go home, rather than submit to church discipline and the leadership of that church. And then on our way out the door, let's throw, like the devil, the diabolu, do y'all realize what that word means? Diabolu, to cast accusations. Are we acting more like that? Or are we acting more like Jesus, selfless? No independence, no autonomy, all for the glory of God. The beauty of today's message is the simplicity of it. You can call it the temptation of Jesus. I'm going to keep calling it Jesus laying the smack down on the devil. Every one of the patriarchs, every one of the prophets, every one who came before him and who will come after failed. I've failed. As a husband, as a pastor, as a dad, as a son, in every way, shape, and form, I've failed. As a student, you name it, I've failed. And the power of it is that I get to recognize it. And I get to bring all of that before Jesus at the cross. And he says, you know what I'm going to do, Kevin? Is I'm going to take every one of your failures and I'm going to redeem it for my glory. Is your allegiance to Jesus? We're going to begin to transition into a time of our Lord's Supper this morning. And I just want to ask you, is your allegiance with Jesus? Is there fruit that is being produced in and through your life that would testify to that fact, to that reality? Before the time of the Lord's Supper, I want to give you an opportunity that maybe you haven't ever professed faith in Christ, that maybe you haven't ever demonstrated or lived out your allegiance to him. And so during our time of invitation, before we enter into the time of the Lord's Supper, 
I want to give you an opportunity to maybe come up, either to talk with me, pray with the pastor, or maybe just to come up here and get down on your knees and confess to God that your allegiance has been to many other things, but it's never been to him. That it's never truly played out in your life the way that Jesus expects and demands it. That imperative command of Matthew 28, disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Holy Spirit, name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, to obey everything I've commanded. And Jesus finishes up that passage saying, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus promises to be Emmanuel when we do the very thing that those magi did to be his disciples. If you need to come forward this morning, if you feel compelled, led by, as Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, if you feel led to come and to pray, then come this morning. Respond to the Holy Spirit however he leads.